Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. I'm so glad you joined us today. You know, when we started this podcast, my goal was to share some of my research and leadership trainings with a few friends and team members. But now this podcast has become a regular weekly stop for thousands of people like you who want to make good use of their time and listen while they're driving and exercising or at home preparing for their day. So I hope today you hear something that can help you to get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. And when you're done listening today, if you find some good ideas here, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you automatically get the next podcast as it's released each week. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about getting connected. A number of years ago, Dr. Robert Neram, a research scientist at Ohio State University and his team, were conducting research on the relationship between high blood cholesterol and heart health. Now, the research was straightforward. Feed white rabbits a high diet in fat and measure the effect on the animal's heart rate and cholesterol and blood pressure. As part of the study, they examined the blood vessels of the rabbits. Looking through a microscope, they expected to see fatty deposits on the inside of the arteries of the rabbits. And of course, the rabbits were all similar breed and size and age and had the same identical diet. But what they found was surprising. Some of the rabbits had 60% less fatty deposits than the other rabbits. This made little sense. They couldn't explain the differences. So they started searching for clues. Now, not immediately apparent were the actions of a new postdoctoral student who was helping with the study. Her name was Marina, and she was described as an unusually kind and caring individual. And after searching the records, it was odd, but they discovered that all the rabbits with lesser fatty deposits had been under Marina's care. And as they investigated further, they found that Marina did something the other students didn't do. You see, after she fed the rabbits, she talked to them and cuddled and petted them and held them for a longer period of time. It was her nature to show this kind of up-close caring. Now, these scientists specialized in cardiovascular disease. They weren't behavioral scientists, but what they found was remarkable. Remarkable enough to be published in Science Magazine and later the topic of a best-selling book. And to validate their findings... They repeated the experiment again, this time controlling all other factors except the care and kindness shown to the rabbits. And they found the same result. The adverse effects of the high-fat diet were offset. The rabbits that were loved had 60% less cardiovascular disease. Now, this effect has been studied and researched in other areas of health as well. And in her book on the topic, author Kelly Harding says, that a sense of connection impacts health in significant ways. She says the sense of connection from touch is more than emotional. It's also physiological. Holding hands, for example, lowers blood pressure, heart rate, and cortisol. Studies show that when a person holds the hand of a loved one in distress, their heartbeat and breathing and brainwaves sync up. In one study, couples wearing brainwave monitors were studied. The partner in pain felt less pain when the couple was touching. 
Now, Harding reported that researchers at Carnegie Mellon University examined the interplay between exposure to illness and daily hugs. In the study, 404 healthy adults would agree to inhale nasal drops that exposed them to the common cold. They first surveyed the participants over 14 consecutive days, asking about disagreements in their relationships and the number of hugs received. Then they exposed volunteers to the cold virus and monitored symptoms such as mucus production and kept them in quarantine for five days. The conclusion? Those who got daily hugs were 32% less likely to get sick. Now, I don't think we're much different than rabbits. When we feel connection in our life, we're healthier. We can be the best version of ourselves. In your life and mine, connection matters. But we get very little training on how to connect. I mean, did you take a course in college on connection? Not likely. So today, let's explore connection a bit further and begin to learn how to bring more connection into our life. Several decades ago, in a small town in northeastern Pennsylvania, a researcher was talking to a local physician. And the doctor said they had very few cases in their town of heart disease. There weren't any suicides and very few ulcers. And this seemed incredibly odd, so the researchers decided to check things out. And sure enough, after looking at the medical records of the community, it seemed that the death rate from these factors was 50% less than in neighboring towns. The researchers considered many different factors, diet, alcohol, consumption, smoking, exercise, and genetics. But these factors weren't unique compared to other communities. And as the researchers lived in the community for a matter of weeks and months, they soon discovered the difference. People were friendly and they connected with each other. They talked on the street, they shared meals, and they supported each other in hard times. It was connection that kept the people healthier. Now, the lack of connection has equally powerful results. In a meta-analysis that looked at the health of over 4 million people, obesity increased the risk of early death by 30%, but loneliness increased the risk by 50%. In a landmark study at Harvard University, looking at people's health over a lifetime, Strong relationships were the key factor in both health and happiness. Robert Waldinger, the director of the study, said, When we gathered together everything we knew about them, meaning the participants, at age 50, it wasn't their middle-aged cholesterol levels that predicted how they were going to grow old. It was how satisfied they were in their relationships. You see, the people who were most satisfied in their relationships at age 50 were the healthiest at age 80. In short, positive connections with others is a powerful way to live a happier and healthier life. Yet, I don't hear many New Year's resolutions being set about improving your health by making more positive connections with people this year. Well, perhaps we should. Here's a proven fact. When you interact with others, there is social contagion. That means, for example, if you connect with people that are healthier, exercise and eat better, you're also more apt to exercise and eat better. Social connections, for example, help keep dementia at bay. In a study that followed seniors for up to 12 years, 
no one had to mention at the beginning of the study, and the researchers found that seniors who participated in community activities, attended sporting events, went out to dinner with family or friends, or attended church had a 70% decreased risk of dementia. I always knew attending church was good for something. Here's my point. To open our eyes to bigger and better ways of living, to improve our health and happiness, we need to become better at connecting. Connecting with our community, with our team, our family, and ourselves. And it seems that we connect less than we used to connect. Maybe COVID has changed things, or we assume that our cell phone and social media is helping us connect more. Well, I'm not so sure. In a recent study, a research firm determined that the typical cell phone user touches his or her cell phone 2,600 times every day. That's just the average user. And the average person spends 145 minutes on their cell phone. In short, we connect with our phone more than we connect with each other. Now, you may argue that when you text or talk to someone on your phone, you're connecting. And that's true. But here's the thing. For the average cell phone user, 70% of smartphone time is spent on streaming or browsing, not really connecting. And consider that TikTok is now the most popular app, then Facebook and then Instagram. In short, we've become fantastic users of smartphones, but perhaps less skilled at what can really help us, human connection. Vivek Murthy says that when she started her assignment as Surgeon General of the United States, she did so by traveling throughout the country on a listening tour to listen to people and learn what their major health issues were. And she expected from those visits that her time as Surgeon General would be focused on tobacco use or obesity and other issues. But one major health issue caught her off guard. She said, Loneliness ran like a dark thread through many of the more obvious issues like addiction and violence and anxiety and depression. Teachers and school administrators and parents voiced a growing concern that our children were becoming isolated, even or perhaps especially those who spent much of their time in front of their digital devices and on social media. Loneliness was also magnifying the pain for families whose loved ones were struggling with addictions. She found that emotional isolation was the factor above all other factors that was causing chronic health problems in our country. When she was practicing medicine as a physician, she met James. James was being treated for diabetes and high blood pressure. As he told her of his struggles with weight and stress, he out of the blue told her, winning the lottery was one of the worst things that happened to me. Really, she said. Why? He told her that he had been a baker and he was good at his craft and customers appreciated his talent. He enjoyed his work and he loved cooking food people liked to eat. But when he won the lottery, everything changed. Since he was now rich, he thought he should upgrade his life. So he decided to enter the world of luxury and leisure. He thought this would make him happy. He quit his job, moved to an upscale neighborhood in an Oceanside community, and with a steady stream of money coming in and all his needs met, he started living the proverbial dream. Yet, despite his new trappings in life, he was sick and miserable. You see, when he was working, he had lots of connections. He was good-natured and humorous and outgoing. 
Now he was increasingly withdrawn, isolated, and depressed. And what James soon realized is that he traded his friends and a job he loved and moved to a neighborhood where people keep to themselves. He lost connection with others and with what really mattered in life. In a 2018 report by the Kaiser Family Foundation, one out of five adults say they always feel lonely. That's 55 million people. Think about it. UCLA research shows that one in three Americans are lonely. So why don't these people, and perhaps you and me, do something to make more connections in our life? Well, again, Murthy says there's a natural tendency to withdraw instead of approaching others when we're lonely. We're embarrassed by our loneliness, and that keeps us from connecting. Dr. Julianne Holt-Lundsted and a team of researchers at Brigham Young University spent more than a year analyzing over 148 studies with over 300,000 participants. They studied the details, wrote countless lines of computer code to facilitate the analysis, all to answer one simple question. Do social relationships reduce our risk of dying early? Well, here's what they learned. People with strong relationships are 50% less likely to die prematurely. She discovered that a lack of social relationships is as harmful to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, on the surface, this may seem hard to believe, but 75% of general medicine practitioners in the UK, for example, reported seeing between one and five patients each day whose visit was primarily driven by loneliness. Now, recognizing this as a chronic health condition, some experts in healthcare are taking action. One physician, Dr. Than Neville, started a program called Three Wishes. Now, the program grants three wishes to patients who are terminally ill and at the end of life. Before passing on, one patient got married to his fiance, and the nurses arranged for him to be dressed for his wedding and decorated his hospital bed and room. Another patient wanted a hand mold of his and his wife's hands clasped together for the family to have after he passed. Another patient wanted his artwork on the walls of his room. Another, dying of COVID, wanted to go back to the cancer ward where he knew the names of nurses, and his wife would feel more at home. Despite the cancer ward not having a ventilator, it was arranged. Others wanted their fingerprints taken, memory boxes made, a Christmas tree in their room, and hundreds of other wishes have been granted. And here's what the medical caretakers who carry out the Three Wishes program have learned. There is peace in connecting. There's a greater sense of being human and alive. And they've also learned something about their own work. <laughs> they now love what they do. They realize that caretaking goes beyond making sure physical needs are met. They realize their job is to make connections. And when they do, both patients and doctors and nurses and others feel healthier and better, even in difficult situations. Now, the same goes for you and me. You see, we're all terminal. We will all die. And we only have a limited number of minutes left on this earth. And what is more important than connecting? When our time comes, money won't matter, jobs won't matter, only a few things will matter, perhaps character and honor, family, and connecting. So, if you're currently building a business or leading a team or a family or going about life and other important endeavors, 
put in the power of connecting to what you do. It will bring an element of richness and service and fulfillment and joy to your life and the lives of others. It's like adding the chocolate chips to chocolate chip cookies or seasoning to a good steak. Connecting makes the doing of the thing, the living of life, richer and more peaceful. Mother Teresa said, if we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Now, while it's possible to connect with many people, it may be best to start with our closest friends. You see, you may have acquaintances in life, and acquaintances someone about whom you know basic details, you've met and say hi to, you small talk with now and then, and you run into them now and again. But a friend is someone you formed a relationship with. You may not see them too often, but genuinely enjoy being around them, and you feel safe and happy with them. And it doesn't take too much to have a conversation with them. But a close friend is someone with whom you're vulnerable, think to call often, ask a favor of, and is integrated into your life. And it's with close friends that we connect most effectively. Now, for some of us, we may ask, why don't I have more close friends? Well, for starters, it's not easy. In a study called How Many Hours Does It Take to Make a Friend?, Dr. Jeffrey Hall, a professor at the University of Kansas, found that it takes 90 to 200 hours to turn a stranger or acquaintance into a close friend. (laughs) That seems like a lot of time. Really? 90 to 200 hours? Is there a better way to grow relationships? Well, Kat Velos says there is, and she calls the better way hydroponic friendships. You see, she says that decades ago, William Garrick suggested that gardens can be grown in water instead of soil, and this seemed to defy all logic at the time, because everyone was used to planting a seed in soil and letting Mother Nature take her time to nourish and sprout the seed. But nowadays, urban farms grow plants without soil in pods, using LED lights and water and nutrition flowing through the water. In fact, In urban farms, animal feed can be grown in as little as four days. Now, I recently visited a growing pod manufacturer who makes pods for growing vegetables, cannabis, animal feed, and a host of other plants, and does so in a shorter time frame with significantly better yield, 95% less water, and no soil. So, just like urban farms can speed up the growing process, is there a way to grow connections better, maybe even faster? Well, first, researchers at Michigan State University have found that fewer high-quality friendships are more beneficial than having dozens of friends. And these high-quality friendships bring benefits you can't find even with positive relationships with your family members, for example. So why don't we start there? Both you and I have friends that we would call close, but for whatever reason, we may have let those friendships waver a bit. We're too busy with our business or family or just plain tired. COVID, proximity, or other factors have changed, making getting together harder than it used to. And there's probably a host of other legitimate reasons. But our health, your well-being, depends on those close connections. So what can you and I do today to better connect with those around us? Well, first, remember, motives matter. Simon Sinek said, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do what you do. In short, our motives matter. Genuine motive trumps tactics every time. 
You see, when you're genuinely interested in another person and you are seeking to be interested before being interesting, you'll likely succeed in the connection. People buy why you do what you do. So let's say you want to meet your neighbor because you want to have someone to help share carpool for the kids. Change your motive. Consider getting to know them because you're interested in them and let carpool take care of itself. Why? They will read your motive and that will impact the kind of connection you'll have with the person. You see, so many of us are trying to get something from our relationships rather than trying to give something. Now, this doesn't mean your motives have to be perfect to connect. For example, you want to get to know your nephew because he's fun and cool, but he wants to get to know you because you're old enough to help him learn how to drive. And even though you want different things, you both have something to offer each other. But the principle is, forget your motive to get something and first focus on your motive to be interested in them. Be genuine. Be sincere. Now, perhaps you've heard the story of the golden age of the Tuscan sculptor. In those days, white Carrera marble, like that used for Michelangelo's David, was the preferred choice of sculptors commissioned by the wealthiest patrons. Sculpting in Carrera marble was neither fast nor easy. The artist had to very carefully chip off the marble layer by layer. Any mistake could be disastrous. The marble could easily crack or chip, and often sculptors who were less talented would chip and scar the marble. Rather than throw away the expensive block of stone, however, they would resort to subterfuge. You see, they would apply soft white wax to hide the flaw, and the flaw wouldn't likely be discovered until after the fee had been paid and the statue collected. And as this became more and more common, Buyers became more and more discriminating and careful, and they wouldn't accept a sculpture until it had been examined. At the time of examination, the highest standard of excellence was given the name of sine sera, meaning without wax. Later, these two words were combined to form the word sincere. To be sincere in your connections is to simply not have an agenda other than to be interested to connect, maybe to learn from others. And my experience is that when we connect in sincerity, we find connections we might not otherwise find. We also have to remember, we often connect through writing. And to connect better when we do write, try the simple practice of writing in reverse. That's right, write in reverse. Now, writing in reverse is simple. You have to reverse the roles of the writer, you, with the recipient. You see, in an age when written communication like email and Slack and text messaging are such a large part of our connecting with others, writing in reverse is extremely helpful. Writing in reverse helps you develop your empathy and your connecting muscles. If you're writing a message or a reply to a message, think of it in reverse. That means ask the question, how will the person reading this view or perceive what you're writing? And how will the message connect with them? And can you say something that will strengthen your connection? For example, let's say you're sending a text message to a friend named Jan, who will be picking up your kids to take them to soccer practice. And you want to confirm the time and make sure she hasn't forgotten. How could you write the text message in reverse? Well, you see, you may be tempted to write, Jan, 
I am just checking that you're picking up the kids at 2.30 for soccer practice. Let me know. But when you write in reverse, you may write, Jan, you are such a lifesaver. My kids will be ready for soccer pickup at 2.30. They always smile when you are the soccer practice driver. You're the best. Notice, in reverse, you don't start the message with I, but instead with you. And by doing so, you're priming them that you value their view. When you write in reverse, you remember the platinum rule. The golden rule is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But the platinum rule is do unto others as they would have you do unto them. So connect by writing in reverse and thinking of the other person's view instead of your own. Next, connecting must be done on purpose. On purpose is seeking to connect with those who can bless your life and you can bless theirs. It means you must be willing to be bold and invite and ask them and seek them out. We often hesitate asking or inviting for fear of offending. But you know, for the most part, people don't take offense. Let me give you a simple example. When I was younger, my wife and I purchased our first house in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we couldn't afford much of a house. So the house we purchased needed a lot of work. And we found ourselves working on our house in all of our spare time. And one Saturday, I had a few hours. So I was painting the eaves of the house. So I was up on top of a ladder with a paint can, using a paintbrush to paint the eaves. And it was hot. And I was sweating and focused on the job at hand. As I was painting on top of the ladder, I saw a man walking from house to house in our neighborhood. He didn't look like a salesman, and I kind of wondered what he was doing. And soon I saw him walking towards our house. He walked up to the bottom of the ladder, looked up at me, and asked me to step down so he could talk to me. At first, I thought this was a little bold. But I complied, and he greeted me warmly and told me, he was the pastor of the church next to our neighborhood. I'd seen the church, and I'd wondered what religion it was and who attended the church. And he asked me if I could gather my family so he could give us a quick message. Well, I told him I had small kids, and who knows how long they would gather, but we stepped inside. He asked us a few questions, and then he gave us a message from the Bible, and then invited us to attend his church. At the time, I remember asking myself, why didn't I take offense? He had interrupted my work. It was inconvenient to get our children into the room on Saturday, and somehow I didn't mind. And as I asked myself that question, I soon realized the answer. He was a minister. It was his job to do what he was doing, and I was grateful that he would think of us, and I wanted to get to know him better. Here's my point. You have friends that have felt a connection with you, and like this minister, they expect you to invite them to do things with you. And if you're sincere, they won't take offense. Don't let fear keep you from doing your job. Perhaps you're building a business in which you need to connect with people. They know you have this business. And if you're sincere, they will not take offense when you invite them. In fact, they may be offended if you didn't invite them. So connect on purpose and invite your friends so you can connect and become closer friends. As you think about connecting, remember this. We can bring positive energy into our daily lives by talking to strangers in line, replacing handshakes with hugs where appropriate, calling our friends just to let them know we love them, and smiling more. There is a science to smiling, by the way. 
Just a few months ago, Forbes magazine reported a groundbreaking study that showed that those who smile get a twofold result. Smiling actually changes our own feeling, helping us feel better, and it's contagious, helping the other person feel better as well. You see, when we see someone else smile, we feel the same. There's an old adage in advertising, and it's smiles sell. Why does a smile sell? Well, a large ad agency found the smile appeal reaches its goal through emotional contagion, and it works. Why? Because it's the way we're wired. In healthy human beings, things called mirror neurons do their job whenever we're exposed to any recognizable facial expression, making us experience emotions identical to the ones being displayed. So when you're looking at a smiling face, however subtle, something in you automatically smiles as well. So to connect more, smile more. Now, before we end, let me mention this. A few years ago, a group of researchers started a series of research studies to determine the role of social connection in protecting us against depression or symptoms of depression. And after controlling for a host of factors, including age, gender, health status, and other things, here's what they found. When participants who were depressed joined one social group, their risk of depression dropped 24%. If they joined three groups, the risk decreased by 63%. There is a protective element when we're connected. So when the minister invites you to church, go check it out. Attend that yoga class. Get involved. The health, mental, and emotional benefits when you do will be worth the effort. And the same goes for your children, by the way. Help them learn how to connect, and they will live a healthier, happier life. So, as we end today, remember the rabbit effect. When we care, when we take time to connect, we do more good than we think. And by connecting, we open our eyes to seeing the world in ways we might not otherwise see. And in your connections, be sincere connect on purpose, smile, write in reverse, and watch what happens. You'll find a happier, healthier, and more connected you. Well, thanks for being here today. We'll talk about next steps to opening your eyes in our next podcast, and I look forward to being with you again soon.